Hi and welcome back to another episode of Healthy Conversations with Omi Naidu, the show where we connect the experts directly to you. Join me in this episode as I chat to Claire Josing Stradham. Claire is a registered dietitian as well as co-founder of Nutritional Solutions, which is one of SA's largest dietitian practices. She is the past president of ADSA and is also the spokesperson for ADSA. She completed her Master's of Science degree in dietetics through the University of Free State and is known annually for hosting her International Nutrition Conference. Claire has a large interest in polycystic ovarian syndrome and it is quite exciting to learn more about PCOS, the management, as well as learn more about an amazing product that can really change the life of these patients. I hope you enjoyed this episode and please don't forget to like, share and subscribe. This episode is proudly supported by Delfram Pharmaceuticals, the company behind the amazing brand Picosatoff. It's a warm welcome to Claire. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, Claire, thanks for being on the show. And I must say, uh, you know, before we started recording, I, I did mention to you, I feel like I know you because I've seen such a big media presence and such a phenomenal force in terms of dietetics in South Africa. Thank you so much. I appreciate that feedback. I think it takes, um, I really do try my best to put out evidence-based nutrition information. And I just believe if we're doing that as dietitians in this country, we will take up space in that, in that area and there'll be less space for the wrong information getting to the public that really needs us to be the louder voice in this space. Yes, no, absolutely. And again, thank you for all that you've done for the profession and continue to do. And the reason I reached out to you was to talk about a topic that I hear is quite close to your heart, and that's PCOS. If we could start off with, you know, how did your journey with this disease uh, interest come about? So I actually have PCOS myself. It's, it's, I got diagnosed with it when I was 22, and um, I, we didn't even learn about it at university. It wasn't even in our syllabus when I, I just finished my degree. And yeah, I got diagnosed with this condition and you start looking for information and there's just all the wrong stuff out there actually. Um, when you start Googling and you, you know you Google and you get the worst information ever. So as a dietitian and I was um, busy with my own masters at the time and uh, you know, you've got, I had access to all these journals. I started reading up myself about PCOS and funny enough, the very first patient I saw in private practice was a PCOS patient, my very first private practice patient. And um, since then, I've obviously myself lived the condition. I know how hard it is for women with this condition. I know how much effort they put into their maintaining their health, their weight loss, their mood. There's so much that goes into this condition. And I just started helping these women with this condition. And it's my passion now. I think 90% of my patients are just PCOS. I I specifically love working with these women because by the time they get to me, they've often just, just really battled and struggled with their condition. And because it's so close to my heart, I mean, I read PCOS journals and print them in little writing and take it to the beach. Like I really, it's my thing, right? So yeah, it's, it's, it's close to my heart because I've suffered with it myself. Wow, that's quite inspiring. And I think, you know, when you, you have a condition that your patient has, it gives you an insight and a perspective that often many other healthcare professionals aren't able to relate to. Yeah, you know how many patients would say to me, thank you just for believing me, like they'll sit here and, and because they've said they've, they've maybe seen even a dietitian sometimes that said, you can't be eating this and not losing weight. Like, are you not telling me something? So 
I think often they, they just feel heard because I'm like, I believe you, something's up. We have to figure out what that is and we will figure it out. And together we'll, we'll get a solution that can actually start helping you with this condition. And I think that the, the thing with PCOS that people often underestimate is it's, it's so much, um, the influence from external factors is massive. So their stress, their eating, their sleep, their, um, their supplementation, their nutrient requirements are just so much more than what you're normally dealing with. And you've got to get all those aspects to start working in harmony to get the best outcome for these patients. So they might be doing really well with their eating, but their stress is shocking and that's going to have an impact, you know? So I always say to my patients, it's, it's not just one aspect. We have to look at all these pieces. And I, I say to them, it's like a 2000 piece puzzle that we're busy building. And the more pieces we get into the puzzle, the better this picture is going to start to look. Well, you know, just, just looking at it, if, if you say that, you've built your practice around mostly seeing PCOS, it just mm -hmm. highlights to us how big a problem this is in South Africa. It's a massive problem. I mean, yeah, it's 5 to 15% of reproductive women have got this condition. 95% of women that go to a fertility clinic also have PCOS. So it's, it's very, um, it's a massive problem. And it's often undiagnosed and women battle and battle and battle. And then finally, most women will go to five doctors before they get the correct diagnosis of PCOS. Wow. That, that, yeah. that, that's quite sad, eh? So if we that could is. move on now and, you know, could you maybe talk us through the pathophysiology of PCOS development? Mm. So, I mean, you're basically looking at an imbalance of reproductive hormones. And it's a metabolic and endocrine disorder with, with sort of major ovarian dysfunction strongly influenced by external factors. And it is a com it's a complex condition um, with various different phenotypes. So you actually get, you get four different phenotypes. And I'm gonna go through them because I just want all the dietitians on here to know what they are because they often come across them on social media and those are not the phenotypes. The phenotypes, the first one is hyperandrogenism with chronic anovulation. The second one is hyperandrogenism with polycystic ovaries on ultrasound, but with ovulatory cycles. Then there's chronic of anovulation with polycystic, um, polycystic ovaries without the hyperandrogenism. And then there's hyperandrogenism with chronic of anovulation and the polycystic ovaries. So women don't always have to have those strings of pills that we would see on an ultrasound for them to have PCOS. There can be anovulation, symptoms of hyperandrogenemia, um, or, or like the hirsutism, the acne, the hair loss. Um, I mean, we also see that the insulin, we get the darkening in the skin, we get the little skin tags. Those are all clinical symptoms that we see in women with PCOS. I can often see PCOS sitting in my office. I can see the clinical picture in front of me. Okay. So if you, I know you touched a little bit on, in terms of the, the symptoms, could you just elaborate then for our listeners, the picture of the patient, you know, what okay, are those so, symptoms that come through to you? So often, I mean, the majority of women with PCOS are overweight. Um, you will, you do get lean PCOS as well, where they they lean, or but the majority is going to be overweight. The majority is going to have insulin resistance. So in a lot of women, you're going to see darkening in the skin. I mean, me myself, um, I I'm very fair, and I always I don't like sunburning, but I want nice tan skin. So I'll put self tan on, and my mom will go like, "Oh, you messed it up!" Like, and, and I'm like, "No, that's just my PCOS. It's got like darkening." So you actually see the darkening in the skin around the neck, in the groin areas, um, along sort of the shoulder lines where the bras go. Like those areas get this darkening in the skin color. And you can see it. You can often see it in the neck in the when the patient's sitting in your office. 
Um, the patient gets skin tagged. So also again, you're seeing that in the neck, sometimes on the arms, under the uh, under the the sort of breast line, if you want to call it that. Anywhere there's friction, you're sort of getting those little skin tags. These patients battle with hair growth and hirsutism, often in the in the hairline like a beard. So you'd get women, and and you need to ask this because some women are doing electrolysis or they're doing um, hair removal, and you don't then see it, but some women have complete beards from their PCOS. I mean, I've seen stories where girls are shaving or plucking their beards because their PCOS is not controlled. So they're getting they're getting male pattern hair growth and male pattern hair loss. So you'll often see their scalp just sticking through, like their hair is so thin on the top and they're getting balding patterns like a man would have. And at the same time, they're getting hair growth. They also have acne. So they, they have predominant acne. You can see hyperandrogenemic acne on women. They get acne in sort of the neck, just under in the neck and the bottom of the chin, across the bottom part of the face. They get this really um, sort of cystic acne as well. So those are key symptoms that you're going to see in these patients when you when you're physically looking at them in front of you. Wow, it's amazing when when you say that. I I actually have uh, images of patients I've seen over the years in my in my mind that probably had quite a few of those symptoms, but were probably not diagnosed with, with PCOS. They probably just got to a dietitian for weight loss or as a pre-diabetic or some sort of other thing that didn't actually diagnose this massive hormonal issue. Yeah, you see, because I mean, like if they've got those symptoms and they're not ovulating, that's already PCOS without the polycystic ovaries. So it's, you see, they're getting missed. These patients are getting missed. And then they, when they miss, they're not getting treated for their condition. So they just battle and battle and battle. And that's my makes me so sad. Like I don't want people to battle like that with this condition. Sure, I, I think the the passion that you have for this condition and treating it uh, definitely comes through when you when you speak. So so it's really awesome to hear that. Thank you. It, it, it's it's really close to my heart, and it it um when I work with these women, I actually it you know you when you do your job as a dietitian, you need to be passionate. You need to love what you do, and. Um, when I work with these women, it energizes me. I can be back to back the whole day with PCOS women, and it's amazing. I mean, today, this morning, I had a patient that said, my cycle's back. After nine months of not having a cycle, my cycle's back. And those kind of consults, or my new favorite thing now is, um, we'll talk about it just now, but when you get the supplementation right and you sort out all the, the deficiencies, all my little um, PCOS patients now on their virtuals have got like this glow of fuzz in the front of their heads because their hair's growing back. And like, those are the kind of things that just excite me about getting this treatment working really well for these women. Yeah, I think it talks to, you know, not treating things symptomatically, but getting down to the root cause of what, what is the issue. And I think very mm -hmm. often as dietitians, our pressure is to treat the obesity, get the patient's weight down. But very often, you know, we're not doing enough to do these investigations and understand what is the core issue because it's a lot easier for the doctor to to say go to a dietitian you're just eating too much rather than mm -hmm. actually sitting down and understanding what's going on hormonally yeah and you i mean we do extensive blood work with any patient that i see i do extensive blood work and often i'll say to the patient look for the first three months i actually don't want to even worry about your weight we'll, we'll that will sort out i want that to be like a secondary tenth down the line we're dealing with clinical um vitamin D deficiencies, your B12 is deficient, there's an iron deficiency, there's magnesium deficiency. This is the kind of clinical pictures I'm seeing in these patients often. Not, it's not one or two here. Often this is a clinical picture you're seeing. And then the hormones will be completely out. They'll have very high testosterone, very high androgen levels. There's 
dysregulation in their follicle stimulating hormone and the luteinizing hormone. So we see um, a reversal of that ratio, or we see that the one's much higher than the other. So we've got to fix that in the patient. So I go through the bloods with the patient and show them and explain, the, explain all of this to them and say, we might see no weight loss in the beginning because your insulin is 79. I mean, I had a patient with an insulin of 79 recently. Um, and I said to her, right now, all we're doing is getting your insulin down. You're not going to see weight loss because at this point in time, your body's just storing fat. Like you're not going to be oxidizing fat right now. I said, I could send you for a blood test every week to check your insulin, but that's going to cost a fortune and it's not necessary. Your, your weight will come down, but right now, understand we have to fix it's that, that underlying, it's that typical picture that you see with the iceberg and the water and everyone's trying to just deal with a little peak that's sticking out. So I, I spend a lot of time educating patients on this. Um, I mean, so that they, they understand it and, and understand the process that we will be working on. Okay, so you, you touched on the bloods that you do. So can you just reiterate that? A patient that comes to a dietitian with PCOS, what bloods should a dietitian be looking for? We obviously know the insulin levels, but uh, yeah, just maybe you, elaborate you a bit further. Check, you need to check insulin, but remember, insulin's not a it's not a marker for insulin resistance, but we're gonna we need to look at your lipogram then. So you're gonna do a lipogram, you need to do glucose, fasting glucose, I do HbA1c in these patients. I also would look at the magnesium um, levels. I would check the vitamin B12 levels. I would do vitamin D on these patients. I often also look at homocysteine because a lot of the patients I'm working with um, are also trying to fall pregnant. So we want those homocysteine levels nice and low. And homocysteine is also a marker for us. If that's elevating, there's an issue with the B vitamins in their body. And we know a lot of these women get put onto glucophage and no one or not, well, any metformin for that matter. But um, they don't get told you, you're going to get a B12 deficiency and you should be taking B12 with a metformin. So a lot of these women have been on long-term metformin therapy without B12 so that the, the clinical deficiency is there. Um, hormonally, I, I always work with gynecologists as well. So I'm not sort of just checking these all on my own. I, I, I really work with a team of different um, gynees, which is really very, very helpful. And I highly recommend it to dietitians to work with doctors in teams because you're going to get the best outcome for the patient. But we look. We would look at the luteinizing hormone, the follicle stimulating hormone. They would look. Uh, we also would do the androgens, the testosterone. Sometimes we'll also do DHEA. Sometimes we'll do cortisol. Sometimes we'll do progesterone. So, so there's additional hormones that could be added by the doctor, depending. But this, the, the 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 one that you do not want to miss is androgen, testosterone, the FSH, and the LH, because those are like critical in these patients. Okay. Perfect. And so moving on to what I was quite excited to chat to you about today is uh, myonositol and dechironositol. And mm -hmm. firstly, if you could help us understand, you know, what are these and how do these work? So inositol is actually part of the B group, the vitamin B group, and they're present in cell membranes and they're present in nine different stereoisomers in nature. So they're actually abundant in nature. Myonositol is the most abundant and dechiro is your secondary um, inositol. Okay. So Myonositol can convert to dechironositol. So it's important to understand that. It's also important to understand that in women with PCOS, they overconvert myonositol to dechironositol. They overconvert, okay? And that can cause dysregulation in the ratio in which the tissues should be working, which is a 40 to 1 ratio. Both inositols are insulin sensitizers, and therefore they act like an insulin mediator. Your, your myonositol actually promotes glucose uptake and the dechironositol promotes glycogen synthesis. So that, that's where they also differ a little bit. Both are also involved in increasing insulin sensitivity at, in different tissues 
to improve both metabolic and um, ovulatory function. So um, if there's a deficit of these tissues um, or altered metabolism, it can also result in insulin resistance. So in, in women with PCOS, the myonositol definitely helps with the metabolic profile and the ovarian function. It actually also improves egg quality, so really important in fertility treatment. And then the d inositol um, reduces hyperandrogenism, and it, and, but it's got to be at low dosages. It also restores normal insulin sensitivity, reduces circulating insulin, and also reduces androgens, and it induces an, an, um, an improved ovulatory frequency. So when we use the inositols in a therapeutic dosage in a 40 to 1 ratio, after 24 weeks, you actually get clinical data that shows we can actually regulate the menstrual cycle by using inositols. And there was a new a paper published actually now in 2020 that showed that a 40 to 1 ratio of myonositol to decara should be used. Sorry, why we use this ratio, I mean, as well, is because women with PCOS overconvert myonositol. If you give the inositols in the right ratio, you're going to prevent that overconversion that's actually causing more problems. It's called the paradox effect. And we want to avoid that at all costs. So when you're using inositols with women with PCOS, you want to have a 40 to 1 ratio. And that's actually now being termed the first line therapy for treating women with PCOS is to use 40 to 1 myonositol to decaro. And we look at about a 4,000 milligram myonositol, which would then mean using 100 milligrams of decaro inositol. Oh, this so, is fascinating. <laughs> this is fascinating. And, uh, you know, I, I really wish that some of the meaningless biochemistry we learned at university included a little bit more of these kind of uh, molecules and how they function in the body. Yeah, listen, it's next level. I've got, uh, I thought to myself, I mean, if you're going to ask me more on this, I'm going to have to send you the literature because it's, it's, <laughs> it's I mean, it's very intricate, but it's, it definitely is working. I'm seeing major shifts in patients using proper therapeutic dosages because what you're seeing a lot at the moment is patients are using inositol at the wrong dosages and without the right ratios. And then you're not going to get the benefit. Then the patient says, I did use inositol, it did nothing. But they never use it correctly. And that's unfortunate because this is where the poor patient gets the raw end of the deal. They're paying money for a product that then doesn't actually deliver on what it should be based on the literature because the dosage is wrong and the ratios are wrong. Yeah, and I think, you know, the just have, helping us understand that is quite in it's quite important, especially in terms of treating these patients. And it's, it's, it's really nice that you've explained the ratio so well. If we could move on. So picositol, which, is, which, which meets this ratio and it contains those two key ingredients. I know that you were fundamental in the development of this product. Could you talk to us regarding what were you looking for or what was missing in the current treatment options that were, at, were, were there in the market at the time? So I actually made this product for me in the beginning of it all. <laughs> I was just, I was sick of spending two and a half thousand rand um, to maintain my own health with my PCOS. So number one, I was paying for imported methylated B vitamins because we didn't have a South African option available that was cost effective. I had to buy the, the imported brands to get a, a methyl tetrahydrofolate and a methyl cobalamin, didn't, wasn't available. I had to pay separate money for my inositols that didn't have decairo, that just had my inositol. No one at the time that I went to Delphine and said, can you please make a product for women in South Africa with PCOS? None of the companies were using decairo inositol yet. No one was using it. Um, and I, I wanted to have the inositols together. Then there were really good clinical trials showing that when you gave women with PCOS magnesium, vitamin D, zinc, and calcium, 
You also saw big changes um, in their metabolic profiles, reductions in testosterone, and better improvements in cardiometabolic risk factors. I mean, just because you have PCOS, you have a 19-fold increased risk of having a magnesium deficiency. Wow. Okay. So a lot of these women are battling badly with sleep issues because their magnesium is shot. There's no magnesium left. They've got high anxiety because the magnesium is not there to sort of calm them. So, so I need, I wanted magnesium and I wanted proper magnesium. I didn't want dodgy magnesium. I wanted high quality um, proper dosaging. So, I mean, I, I, Delphin was amazing. They said, Claire, make your wish list of what you want and we'll see what we can make. And we went back and forth. I mean, it took us three years to make this product for stability, get it ready and bring it to market. It was a huge um, project. So it, it contains the Myonotil and the Dekyro, obviously in the right ratio, the 40 to 1 with the 4,000 therapeutic dosage of the Myonotil with 100 milligrams of the Dekyro-Nototil. It's got the magnesium glycinate. So the magnesium glycinate in the 350 milligram dosage. So it's a very, very good magnesium. It's basically equivalent to three of your standard magnesium supplements on the market that most people are using. So just the cost benefit ratio for the patient's massive. Well, for me it was, because I know I was paying two and a half thousand rand for all of these products separately. And I had a handful of pills that I had to take. So the reality is I wasn't so compliant because I was getting over buying all these things and taking so many tablets. And um, then it's got the folic acid at 500 micrograms. It's got the vitamin B12, which is methylated, which is also really important if a patient's on a metformin, for example, at least we're also covering their B12 requirements. It's got chromium picolinate in it also, which helps with glucose levels and insulin sensitivity. There's also zinc oxide, which is major for the acne. It helps a lot for women with their acne. And then I put the calcium in there. So the calcium is 500 micrograms with vitamin D3 and vitamin K2. So it's got a thousand IUs of vitamin D as well, because the women with PCOS have lower vitamin D levels. We know it affects their ovulatory function. We actually want vitamin D at about 60 on the blood, not 20, not 30, much higher for women with PCOS because vitamin D acts as an anti-inflammatory in women with PCOS. So I wanted high level vitamin D so that they wouldn't have to take, they wouldn't get deficient. Once their deficiency was, you could use separate vitamin D to get rid of the deficiency, but that this could be used as a long-term product for women to prevent them having relapses with their health at a cost-effective, good quality product. That's what I wanted. And yeah, and Belfren really helped make that true and available. You know, it's interesting. You, you mentioned the vitamin D and the, the sad truth is very often or it's not often that I, I test a patient's vitamin D and it doesn't come back as low or deficient. And mm. when you talk of this level of 60, I personally haven't seen it in the blood. And if you say that it's needed physiologically for these patients, they're obviously yeah. not meeting it like most patients. No, they're not. We, we all like avoiding the sun. I mean, we know this. <laughs> we never see the sun. We're all working or we're covered in offices, whatever the case may be. Um, but yeah, there's a very high need for vitamin D in women with PCOS. We, I mean, I'll just, um, I've got some information here. I'm going to make this a little bit smaller. So there was some really good literature on vitamin D in, in women with PCOS. They actually found that women with PCOS have a pro-inflammatory state. And then due to this, they've got elevated expressions of advanced glycation end products. But vitamin D binds this in women with PCOS specifically and, and binds these advanced glycation end products. So it really, really reduces the inflammation. And it also helps to 
um, improve insulin resistance in these patients. So we see improvements in triglycerides, cholesterol, the CRP, which is your C-reactive protein, um, also improves, which is also an inflammatory marker. And we also found that women that have a higher vitamin D um, had normal ovulation. So if a woman wasn't having her menstrual cycle and we corrected her vitamin D, it could also bring her menstrual cycle back and correct the ovulation. We also know if women with fertility fall pregnant with lower vitamin D, they can have a high risk of miscarriage. So getting the vitamin D right in these patients is really important. You can't not check this in a PCOS patient. Okay, so when we talk about PCOSetol and PCOS, is it something that you would advise for all patients with PCOS? Or is there a specific type of patient that you say definitely should be used for? Look, it's definitely for women that are overweight, that are battling with the insulin, it's going to help them for sure. Okay, just, just the inositol there. I mean, they're saying for PCOS, first-line therapy is the inositols in that ratio. So that covers that. Um, you would, this, I've, I've made like the levels of vitamin D in this product. At a, it's not like a 5,000 or 10,000 IU because that would be too high as a long-term usage option. So you as a practitioner, this is a long-term maintenance option for a woman with PCOS. You would use adjunct therapies alongside this to correct deficiencies and then remove that so that the patient then just has to have the one little sachet day with like a baseline multivit and maybe an Amiga. So we reduce the tablet load for the patient quite significantly. And you, I even have like lean PCOS patients on this because they might not be overweight, but they've got very high androgens, very high testosterone. Um, I've got a patient now who's a, she's a type 1 diabetic on insulin, and she's got PCOS. She's actually underweight. She's on a weight gain plan with me, but her androgens and her testosterone were sky high. And she actually had terrible acne. She said to me she actually likes COVID because she gets to wear the mask and cover her acne under her mask. And I haven't seen her for a while. We've been doing a lot of virtual consults and I saw her at her last session. She actually, um, I said to her, how's your skin? You know, how's it going? She said, and she, she was in my office and she took the mask. She's like, I don't have any acne, it's gone. And her, her hormone levels have corrected significantly. Well, it's taken about eight months to see the shift, but that's somebody now who's a lean PCOS. Who would you think, oh, they don't have insulin resistance. They don't need inositols, but the inositols are not just for insulin resistance. They're also dropping androgens in the low dose of that the Cairo being at a lower dose actually drops androgen. So it's effective on multiple levels in these patients. Okay, so how would you dose it? So for somebody listening to, to this and they're thinking of a patient, but you know, how do they start it? Is there a starting dose? Is there a certain amount that they should be having per day of Picositol? So the the dosage is it's one sachet a day. If you, if the patient buys a box, it's got three little sachets in a box. And the patient basically has a sachet per day. Some patients with any inositol might get gastrointestinal side effects. And the same we see with like a metformin. So what I do with those patients is if there's someone that's sensitive to um, inositols or their tummy gets a bit runny or crampy, I let them do like a, a half a sachet a day and just slowly build it up to the full sachet. You want the full sachet because it's got the full four gram therapeutic dose of the inositols. People also ask me, how do I let people take it? You, with the picositol, you basically take a half a glass of water and you put the picositol, the powder into the water. I find if I do it the other way, it gets a bit clumpy, so I'd rather put the powder in on top of the water, give it a good stir, and then actually leave it for a little bit to dissolve nicely. And it actually goes like a bright pink color. You give it another stir, and then you just drink it. And, and I actually let patients take it after dinner in the evenings just because that magnesium really helps with the sleep. 
but they can take it any time of day. But the ones that really battle with sleep, I say take it after dinner. So that's how you would do the dosing for that. Okay, so if I understand you correctly, you know, similar to the, the metformin, the, the GIT side effects, if they do have it, is transient and with time it gets better, obviously. Yes, 100%. And you can just go slowly and that's, that'll be okay. Okay. And could you share some of your patient experiences in terms of maybe blood glucose control or weight loss or anything significant that you think, wow, this is, this is something I could have not done had it not been for this innovative kind of treatment regime? Yeah, so I've actually, um, I've recently started a, a program for women with PCOS called PCOS Boss Program. And um, so we obviously be doing baseline bloods when patients start and we do bloods again after a certain period of time. And we do sort of 16 to 20 weeks later, we start looking at these, these factors. And I've had patients lose, not in that small space, but my PCOS patients are actually getting weight loss. So in the beginning with them, their weight loss is very slow. And I think you've got to motivate them through that. But then once they get going, they actually start losing weight very nicely. So I've had patients lose 20 kilos. Um, they, they're losing over sort of 10 to 15% of their body weight, which is really what you want. Another thing to know, I mean, just with these patients is often they've got very high muscle mass. Um, it's one of the it's one of the it's one of the things you get with PCOS, and they weigh a lot more. But if you put them on a body comp, you'll see that they've got great muscle mass, so it's actually a benefit. And you need to get them to also then realize that. Um, I've I've really started seeing great changes now with menstrual cycles coming back and regulation of menstrual cycles. So, because we're using these therapeutic dosages now, um, I'm starting to see patients have that had 70-day cycles coming back to then a 45-day. And then you start seeing 30-day cycles, 45, 30. And I actually make them do calendars and we track their cycle. And I think that's been one of the most big shifts I've seen where the cycle's just regulating. And, and women that would have needed fertility treatment are falling pregnant naturally because they we are fixing the core, which has been so, so wonderful for me. Because, I mean, that's for a woman with PCOS that would have spent hundreds of thousands of rands going through IVF by losing weight, getting their hormones regulated, bringing their cycle back to a 30-day cycle is increasing their chances of naturally conceiving significantly. So that's definitely been a good change. We also think big shifts in insulin levels. Um, the insulin comes down really, really nicely. Um, the hormones also, like I said, we um, the androgens, the testosterone, those are the big areas that I'm seeing the shifts. And, and I, I do put it down to them using the right dosages of the supplements. Obviously, we could be correcting the nutrient deficiencies of B12. Um, I often will use B12 injections if the B12 is really low in these patients to get those levels up quickly. Because so many of these patients are coming in just so tired and exhausted. And if there's deficiencies, we just are rather correct them quickly. I, I had a really nice story with a patient that she came in and she said to me, she's just in pain all the time. Her muscles are so sore and it's because she's lazy. She said to me, so I said, what do you mean you're lazy? She says, well, I, I, I try and exercise, but I go to boxing three times a week and I walk twice a week, but I can't do more because I'm just too lazy and I get my muscles get tired. So I said to her, it's probably not that. Let's just run some bloods and then we'll see what's going on. Her vitamin D came back at seven. Wow. She was having complete muscle fatigue because of the chronic, like chronic long-term severe vitamin D deficiency. And um, we actually sent her for injections for vitamin D. We, we started with oral vitamin D plus injections. Within about four weeks, she had no more pain in her muscles. And for her, that was like a major, a major change because she, most of the women you're going to encounter with PCOS, 
have been told that it's their fault that they're overweight and they should eat less and you know they must exercise more and the blame or just come back when you want a baby that's the messaging these women have been getting for a long time so to all my colleagues out there when you're sitting with these women in front of you please just be so gentle and kind because they've often been through a lot already I love how you're changing the dialogue of this condition and changing the the narrative of a lazy, not really motivated, non-compliant patient to probably a patient that just needs somebody to spend the time with them to understand what's going on. Yeah, that you we really really do, mommy. Um, I mean, um, when I see these patients, my first consult with them is an hour, just speaking to them, not even doing any education, just understanding their sleep, their stress, their life, their family dynamics, their, what they like to eat, what they don't eat, what they, you know, um, their cooking behaviors are, their exercise, everything. Because if we don't understand these patients at that level, we're not going to be able to help them. And we do need to take the time with them because you, like you say, well, my, my dad always said to me, you need to listen twice as much as you speak because you have two ears and one mouth. <laughs> so I yeah. try and do that with my PTS patients. Okay. And it's also amazing. You know, it, it excites me when I hear you speak also because there's so many applications to diet therapy and nutrition therapy. And, you know, I'm learning something a lot. Uh, actually, I'm learning a lot of things today on this episode and I hope our listeners also but it just reminds us on how wide and varied a role a dietitian can play in getting that patient back to recovery. We, as dietitians, have such an important role to play. And if you're a dietitian and you're not feeling motivated and you're like, oh, oh my profession, because we are, we, we also have, sometimes I see this, this attitude of poor me, all the influence are getting the patient, we must do this, that. No, no, if, up your game. You're a dietitian, make sure that your knowledge is on point and that you're helping patients because we have a lot to offer. But we, our knowledge around nutrition is our commodity and we need to be on point with our knowledge and really help people. Because if we, if we are and we're doing what we were taught to do, our impact's major, it's major. And we need to know, we need to know that and we need to own it and we need to start being a lot more vocal about it. Okay. And, uh, you know, I totally agree with you. And, you know, I'm just going to round off a bit now and just uh, I had one question, though, when I was listening to you talk about the, the picositol. Is it an add-on therapy to somebody who is on glucophage or is it a substitution? And if you do add on the, the picositol to the glucophage, should the doctor then be reducing the, the dose of glucophage or how does it work? Um, there are some clinical trials with the, with the metformin. I'll actually um, take you through some of them. But you can use them together. So, for example, if a patient's doing it for fertility, I wouldn't remove the, the glucophage. I'd use it um, with, them, with the metformin together. Um, they, they have found that the, the inositols actually compare. They're, they're very comparable with the metformin. I just want to see here. Okay, so, I mean, they actually did a comparison trial of metformin plus myonositol versus metformin alone in women undergoing ovulation induction cycles. And what they did in group one is they had metformin with myonositol three times a day. And in group two, they just had metformin um, 500 milligrams three times a day. So group one had the combination therapy, group two had the um, just metformin alone. And this was used in 120 infertile women with PCOS. After three months, there was this, this statistical significant improvement in menstrual cycle, the length, the bleeding days, 
the HOMA index and the live birth rate was significantly higher. It was 55% compared to 26% in the, in the metformin alone. So there the definitely looks like there's literature to support using inositol as a replacement therapy for metformin. I don't just do that off the bat with the patients. What I, if the patients are already on metformin and they get referred to me by an endocrinologist or a gynae or something like that, I'll keep them on the metformin and start the therapy as a combination therapy. And then we start seeing good changes. And then we can have the discussion about going off the metformin with the doctor. So that's what, how I would approach it normally. But we're seeing, you can see there in the literature, you actually, especially in fertility patients, there's better outcomes with a combination. Because remember, the inositols are also changing androgens. They're changing the, the quality of the egg. It's, a, it's, it's different to what metformin is doing. So you can use the combination therapy. Okay, and then how do dietitians access this this product? Uh, is it scripted? And if it's not scripted, you know, do you stock it in your office as a dietitian, or do you send them to your local pharmacies? How does it work? I do stock it in my office as a dietitian because I've unfortunately had patients charged seven hundred rand for a box in some pharmacies. Um, it sh patients shouldn't pay more than five hundred rand for a box. So yeah, I, I have it at my practice. So I. And um, yeah, I, I have it for my patients at my practice, but you can find it now in just him and clicks and all the pharmacy stock it. It's not scripted. And the biggest challenge I face with my patients going into to get supplements is they get told to rather buy this inositol or that, like someone in the aisle ambushes them, changes their whole script. I'm sure dietitians, all of you have had the same experience if you send patients into the pharmacy and they go buy a different inositol. It's not the same product. It's completely different. So and that's actually the, probably the main reason why I now have inositol and just have the picositol and have it available for my own patients. So if you're a dietitian that sees a lot of these patients, you can obviously stock it yourself um, at your practices. I think the benefit of, of stocking something at your practice is we know that sometimes there's this, uh, this tendency of patients where they buy in during the consult to a certain therapy, they take the whether it's a script or a name of the product. And the next time you see them, there's some reason why they couldn't access it or they didn't get it. And it's often just a behavior modification that's not really ready. Whereas mm -hmm. if it's in the office, it's, it's at the, you can collect it from the receptionist at the front desk. It's this urge to get the, the ball rolling. Yeah, and the thing is, what's also very important is if they want to see the benefits of using inositol therapy, your best outcome started around three to six months. We're seeing in clinical trials, they're looking at a 24-week mark. So the patient needs to understand, like if we're trying to get your insulin down and your androgens down, you need to consistently use the inositol in a therapeutic dosage daily so we can get the outcome. And that's also really important. Okay, perfect. Claire, once again, thank you so much for making the time for the podcast. We really appreciate it. I think it's amazing to see your passion with this disease condition. It's amazing that you didn't just sit with this passion and think, let me just think unilaterally or very uh, linearly as to how I'm going to treat it. But you've really pushed yourself to go out of the box and work with a company to develop something that you wanted. So, you know, it's a huge thank you to what you do for dietetics in South Africa, but also a bigger thank you for what you're doing in a disease condition that even I as a dietitian know very little about before this podcast. So thank you. Well, it's a pleasure. And thank you for that feedback. It's, it really is something um, that I've put a lot of my heart and soul into. So it's, it's really rewarding for me to be able to help on that level. So thank you for that. I appreciate it.